right, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Weber, and we're going to be starting a new series this morning that I'm titled, The Four Prayers of Paul. The Four Prayers of Paul. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. Just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Okay. And so we also want to say thank you to all of those who have uh, partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. And you can get all that information through our website, lighthousediscipleship.org. You can go to the Give page and you can uh, take your information there or you can mail it to us. And all that information is there on our website as well. Okay. So anyway, uh, just so you know, we will have our Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock on Effortless Change by Andrew Womack. And then we will be resuming our Wednesday night Bible study this week at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, uh, entitled The Believer's Authority, by, also by Andrew Womack. And again, all of our teachings are archived uh, on our website as well as our YouTube channel, and so you can follow us there. So like I said, I'm going to be starting a brand new teaching series this morning that I've entitled The Four Prayers of Paul. Now, Paul prayed more than four prayers. You can find some uh, very simple short prayers in uh, his, his letters, his script, the scriptures. But there's four primary prayers that I have used throughout the years in my own prayer life, in my own study relationship with God, as well as a, as a pastor, as I've encouraged other people, prayed for other people, especially like on Facebook. Uh, I get a lot of people asking for prayer. I don't know them. I don't know what they want prayer for. And so, uh, I just use one of Paul's prayers, yeah, because I think they are awesome prayers, and I just think they, they are applicable, and as a pastor, they are my prayers. And so, you know, when we think of the Apostle Paul, I don't know about you, but I would not be where I am today spiritually without his letters, without his revelation, without the new, he wrote more than two-thirds of the New Testament, and without his revelation and all the letters that he wrote, I would not be where I'm at today. And I think that's the truth for most of you as well. Okay. And as, and some people, he has several different titles in the sense that, or subtitles if you will. One of those is being the Apostle of Grace. And as the Apostle, and as the Apostle of Grace, and as the Apostle who wrote most of the New Testament, I think it behooves us to understand, to hear and understand Paul's prayers. See, when Paul is not just praying for us, the church, but he is writing out those prayers, in my, in my opinion, and now this is my opinion, in my opinion, he is, he is pouring out his heart. And as the apostle of grace, as in many ways, from a distance through letter form, as my mentor, as my apostle, in that way, if I can even put it that way, it behooves me to hear his heart and what he wants me to understand and what he wants me to, to, to get a revelation of. And I want to hear his heart. I want to hear what he has to say. And then I want to understand what he wants me to understand. Did that make, hopefully that makes sense. I can't see your head out of the video, but that's my heart. And now this is a different kind of teaching than I've done before. 
I usually do what I what people call a topical teaching. I'll talk about faith, the Holy Spirit, uh, healing, but and I'm gonna be doing a new series after this one. Well, it's not new. It's actually gonna be, te- be reteaching a series on uh, being established in His righteousness, which is my foundational teaching that I teach, and I'm gonna be teaching that again after we're done with this series. And so most of my teachings are been more of a, a topical type of teaching, and this is gonna be more of an expository or even. Some people might even call it more of a textual teaching, because I will use other scriptures. But this is going to be my base. This is going to be the base. And when I talk about the four prayers of Paul, like I said, he has prayed many other prayers throughout the scriptures. There's four primary ones that we're going to be focusing on in this teaching. And I, I'm going to spell these out for you. They are, two of them are in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3 as well as Philippians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1. Like I said, he's prayed other prayers. He prayed other prayers and some of the other letters as well that he wrote. But these are the four that I'm going to be focusing on. Starting with, and the ones I usually focus on the most personally, are the two that are in Ephesians, and that's what we're going to start with first. We're going to start with the one in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. And just like with all my other teachings, this is not a race. I don't have, I'm not trying to get this done in four weeks. It may get done in four weeks. It may, may go longer. My point is that we we look at these four letters of Paul. We're going to take these verse by verse. I will start out with the first one this morning, talking about Ephesians from Ephesians chapter one, and we will take we will we, we will break this apart verse by verse, and uh, and we will but we'll first read through the prayer, and then we will uh, pull this apart uh, verse by verse. Okay. So, here we are in Ephesians chapter 1, and before we get to the, we're going to start actually with verse 15, and what I call the, kind of the prelude to the, the prayer. So we'll start with verse 15, but the prayer starts, actually starts in verse 17. Okay? And so, let's read through the prayer, and then we'll, 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 we'll pull this apart verse by verse, okay? And we'll even do some bouncing around a little bit. So I, I, I pray that this message comes across well. And I haven't done this type of teaching before. Okay? <coughs> At least in this manner. Therefore, I also, after I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of this calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand of, in the heavenly places, far above all principality, and power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in, the, in this age, but also that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him to be head over all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. In all. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith, actually, okay, let's stop there. All in all. So that, that's the prayer. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 23 is a prayer. So let me just back up real quick. Uh, for those of you who might just be joining us, we're going to be talking about the four prayers of Paul. The first one we're going to be talking about here is in Ephesians chapter 
uh, 1, chapter uh, verses 17 to 23, okay? And so, let me just catch up here. Uh, I went backwards, so be better with me real quick. Okay. So, we, we read through the prayer. Now we're going to take the prayer apart verse by verse. And we're going to bounce around a little bit here uh, to uh, times, uh, especially even looking at before the prayer. Okay? So, oh, bear with me. This is new for me, this type of uh, teaching before, uh, at least in this manner. But I'm hoping you hear my heart. And more importantly, I want you to hear Paul's heart. Okay, in these prayers. So let's go back to verse 15 real quick. What I call the, the prelude to this prayer. That's just my terminology. Okay. <coughs> Paul starts off by saying, therefore. Now we'll go back and look at some of the previous verses. Uh, not all of them, but some of them as we go forward. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints. You know, when we're looking at this prayer, one of the things I look at is Paul's purpose. One of the things about when I'm looking at God, Paul's purpose in this prayer, Paul was not praying because they were in a terrible shape. He was not praying to a church that was in some great big sin. He was not getting on their case. He was not reproving them. He was not upset. Okay? He was not bringing correction here. Okay? Now, he, he has brought correction in some other letters, especially Galatians and also in the Corinthians. He brought some correction in some other letters as well. But he's not doing that in this case. He's not doing, that's not the purpose of this prayer. His purpose of this prayer is not to bring correction. Paul actually commended them. He commended them for their faith in Jesus and for their love for all the saints in verse 15 that we just read. He was commending them. But even though Paul was commending them, he was also saying there's, there was more Paul wanted them to, to, to receive or understand. Just because someone is telling you there's more doesn't mean that they're not commending you. Okay? Any good teacher, any good coach, you know... Praise God for how far you come. You know, and let me just say this. The greatest thing of all is that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. That you are born again. There is nothing more important than that. But I also believe, as Paul, I believe, is bringing out in this letter, in this prayer, that there's more that most of us don't even understand. And because we don't understand it, we're not experiencing it. That makes sense. There's nothing more important than being saved. In other words, let me just take the picture this way. There is more to salvation than the forgiveness of sins. But I am no way, shape, or form going to water this down because there is nothing more important for you to become born again. There is nothing more important for you to understand the forgiveness of your sins. I am not watering it that down. That is the foundation. And if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand anything else we talk about. That makes sense. You need to understand that. We're going to We'll, we'll dive into some of this forgiveness of sins in this teaching, in this letter. But, I'm not wiring it down, but there's more to salvation than just this. There's more. Okay? I mean, even the word salvation, we have talked about this many times, but in the Hebrew and the Greek, the word is defined as wholeness. It's defined as healing, prosperity, and, and deliverance. There's, we have a great salvation. And it's not just the forgiveness of sins, which is, I believe, the greatest component. 
In one sense, the, the word healing and prosperity mean nothing if you don't understand, if you're not born again. Okay? So I'm never magnifying healing, prosperity, or anything else above the forgiveness of sins. But I'm also gonna, I am also not going to teach this only and not teach the full gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, okay? Being born again ushers us into the kingdom of God. There's a kingdom. And there's not only one aspect of the kingdom. Our only goal is not to go to heaven, even though that is one of the greatest parts of our salvation. We all want to go to heaven, and nobody want, wants to go to a devil's hell. Amen. And I am not watering that down. But I believe we can also have heaven on earth. I believe that we can also experience some things here and, there's, and, and, and on this side of heaven. Okay? There is a kingdom of God. Jesus says this way in Luke that the kingdom of God is not there or here. The kingdom of God is within you. Jesus also said, It's my Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. The being born again ushers, and I want to understand how the kingdom works. I want to understand everything God has given me in salvation. Now salvation, receiving Jesus, is the best thing that can ever happen. But let me also say this, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of a life of God. It's the beginning of, of uh, eternal life. Jesus said, this is eternal life that you know Him. It's the beginning of a relationship. When Sherry and I met, we began to court, and we began to date, and then we got engaged, and we, we got married. It was the beginning of our relationship. 22, 21, going on 22 years later, we're still in a relationship. Praise God for the, the dating, and the courting, and the, the engagement, and the marriage, and the wedding. But that was the beginning. It wasn't the end. It wasn't, it wasn't even what's it the goal. It was part of the goal, okay, but it was a relationship. It was a marriage. We don't just celebrate our wedding, we celebrate our marriage, okay? But the wedding is since the beginning, and even the wedding wasn't the beginning. <laughs> we, we didn't have a beginning until we started dating, until we started talking, until we met each other, <laughs> you know? And so... But it was the beginning. It wasn't the end. It wasn't like we got married, okay, now we can stop. And some people have stopped in their relationships at that point. It was the beginning, okay? We're in a relationship. We're in the kingdom of God. There is more to salvation than most of us have understood and comprehended. Okay? Again, Paul was commending the church, not giving down. But he, I believe in this prayer, he's saying there's more to salvation. And there's some, and if, when, we, when we read this first prayer in Ephesians, we're going to go through the other three later on different dates. But there was something that Paul wanted people to understand. And this comes out very strong in this message. There's something he wants you to understand. He wants to understand something that you have in Christ. And so you can comprehend it. How I many you know you can't experience something you don't understand? See, to the degree that we understand how God's kingdom works and apply it to our lives, we can experience heaven and earth. To the degree that we understand how the kingdom of God works, how salvation works, what is included in salvation, to the degree that we understand that, 
and apply it to our lives is the degree that we can experience God. If all you have is salvation, and that is the greatest thing of all. And if that's all you have, you have enough in one sense of the word. Okay? I'm not down for that is the greatest thing of all. But if that's all you understand, that's all you're going to understand about the kingdom. That's all you're going to apply to God's life. That's all you're going to apply in your life. And that's all you're going to experience. But there's more. There's not something in addition to. There's not something better than. There's something that's included in your salvation. Does that make sense? You know, if I buy a brand new car, there might be some extra <coughs> bells and whistles to that car. The bells and whistles are not the main reason why I got the car. I got the car to have a car to have transportation. But the bells and whistles are also included. And if I never learn how to use the bells and whistles, I'll never use the bells and whistles. <laughs> they might be there. I might have paid for them. Okay, they might have added some thousands of dollars onto the, the value of the car. But if I don't know how to use them, I'll never use them. I'll never apply them. I'll never experience using them. Okay, and that might make sense. But, <coughs> excuse me, the main enchilada, if I can put it that way, is the car. You know, my, I might have a car. With, I mean, I, mean I, I might have a enchilada with a Mexican plate with rice and beans and chips and salsa. But the chips and salsa, rice and beans, are not the main enchilada. The main course is an enchilada. Okay? Everything else is the sides. Okay? It's not the main course. It's part of the course. Okay? That makes sense? And I don't know about you, but when I get my combination plate with the enchilada, rice and beans, I want all of it. I ordered the enchilada. The rice and beans came with it. Okay? I don't know if this makes sense, but... Salvation is the most important part. But with this salvation, there's a whole kingdom that we can apply to our lives and we can experience. This transformation that I'm talking about is not automatic. We are progressively changed from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from grace to grace. And how we change, we are changed by the renewing of our minds. This is talked about in Romans chapter 12. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. We'll get into a little bit of this, but what I'm going towards now, right now is that, in one sense of the word, I'm talking about spirit, soul, and body. Anyone has heard us teach on this, Andrew teaches on that. It's one of Andrew's primary, teach, primarily te primary teachings. We are a spirit. We have a soul, and we live in a body. Our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. When we became born again, it's our born-again spirits that became born again. Our, our mind, will, and emotions need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Renewing our minds to what? We are renewing our minds to who we are in Christ. We're born again. We're a child of God. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His dear Son. Our bodies, you know, if we were... Let's say fat before we got saved, or we fat after we got saved, unless we go on a diet or some things happen to, to change our weight. And same thing with our mind. Our minds don't just change automatically. We need to be renewed. We, when we're born again, we are regenerated. But the part of us that was born again, the part of us that was regenerated, is our spirit, not our soul and not our body. Those things will take place, but those things have not taken place yet until Jesus comes. Okay? But we can be renewed 
It's just like a, a computer. You need to reprogram it sometimes. You need to reboot it. You need to reprogram it. And so this transformation takes place as we are, it's a progressive change. We are born, when we receive Jesus Christ, we are born again instantly. But it's our spirit that's born again. We are transformed by it progressively by the renewing of our minds. And in one sense, you will do this the rest of your life here on earth. We will constantly be transformed. Transforming the word metamorpho. And it comes from the word metamorphosis. Like a caterpillar transforming to a butterfly or a tadpole to a frog. Okay? There's a transformation that takes place. Another way I'm describing what I'm describing is called discipleship. Okay, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let me go, go with this real quick. We are all the same in our born-again spirits. When we are born again, whether you are in, in India, in Pakistan, America, wherever you might be, if you are born again, my spirit, my born-again spirit, and your born-again spirit are exactly the same. They're just like Jesus. But there are different levels of understanding. We are all have a different revelation or a different level of understanding of the Word of God, of who of salvation, of who we are in Christ, and based on how we've been taught, based on how we have listened, based on different we all are different levels of understanding. But we are all the same in our born again spirits. That makes sense? Paul was commending the church because they were all born again. They all love God and they all love one another. And that was commendable. And that is commendable. And there's nothing more important than those, those two things. But in order to apply the salvation to their lives in deeper levels, there was an understanding that somewhere at different levels. And Paul was wanting them to understand. There was something that Paul wanted them to be enlightened to. There was something that God want, Paul wanted them to have a revelation of. In other words, like I just mentioned ago, we are all called to be disciples. We were... were Jesus commissioned us to go make disciples of all nations. What's a disciple? A disciple is a disciplined learner. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 8, you shall, you shall, uh, shall be my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth can't set you free if you don't know it. If you don't understand it, if you don't know that you can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, if you don't understand that, you will never apply that, and you will never experience that. You will never experience God using you to lay hands on the sick and see to recover. Why? Not, it's not because you don't have the, the, the power to do that or the ability or the, the power of eternity to do that, but put it that way, but because you don't understand that. Maybe you've not been taught that. Maybe you have not received that. You know, and that's just one. You have the same power to raise Christ from the dead. We're going to see that in this specific prayer. We have the same power to raise Christ from the dead. I'm getting way ahead of myself in this prayer. But we have some things. We have some things in our born-again spirits. And we need to understand those things. Praise God we're all born again. And I'm never going to magnify anything else above this. Hear my heart. But I want you as a pastor, and I'm, Paul wants us as a, our apostle of grace, he wants us to understand some things so we can go to some de deeper levels so we can apply the kingdom of God where we are. Am I making sense? Okay? 
But we are all called to be disciples. And you will be a disciple the rest of your life here on earth. We are disciples. It's not a one-time thing. There might be a season where you are just devoted to discipleship. And once you shut everything out, the disciples did that for three and a half years with Jesus. Paul did that when he was converted in Damascus for three and a half years before he really started his ministry. When you read the books like Galatians and Corinthians and and, uh, and the book of Acts, and you combine some things together, you can see that he spent three and a half years in Damascus before he really started his ministry. Okay? We are called to be disciples. That's why we call our church Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We're big on this. Okay? But discipleship is not automatic. Discipleship takes time. It takes discipline. That's why the word is called discipline learner. And most people run away from discipline. Most people don't like discipline. Most people chicken out or get tired or, you know, whatever excuse they have. But no good athlete, no good, and no, there's no career, there's no sport, there's no activity that you have, that anyone has excelled in that they were not discipled in that sport, that trade, or whatever the case may be. No one became great by doing what they do without discipline. And I want to be disciple. I want all God has for me. Not just some. I want to go to heaven. I want a relationship with God. But I want to go deeper. I want all God has for me. And if we need to be discipled if we're going to understand some things so that we can experience some things on a deeper level. Okay? You don't need some of this stuff to become born again. You are discipled because you are born. Okay, that makes sense. You don't train. You don't start discipling your child before they are born out of the womb. Once your child is born and they are weaned, then you can start training the child in the way they should go. You don't put your child in school before they're born. They don't come out of the womb knowing everything. When we're born again, we need to be discipled so that we can learn who we are in Christ. And begin to act that out. We can't be discipled before we become born again. Just like a, a, a baby can't be discipled before he's born. That's nonsense. Okay? But once they're born, there's a process called adolescence and childhood. Where they are schooled and they are trained so they can be. So they can excel in life. And I want you to, you're born again, praise God. Just like a baby, praise God, they're born. But a parent's job did not start when they came out of the womb. I mean, the, the parent's job did not stop when they came out of the womb. No, that, that's when the job started. Okay? The job starts, and it doesn't even stop when they uh, become an adult. It does change roles. Okay? It does change roles big time. Okay? By the same point in time, it never stops. Even when your child is 80, and you're still alive, your job as a parent will always be a parent. But your role has changed in when, they, when they're 8 versus when 80. Okay? But it's not automatic. You know, ch children are, don't, are not schooled automatically. There are some people who have never been parented well, never been trained well. And you can tell it. It's a process. It's a discipline. Okay? Let's go back to our prayer here. <coughs> Therefore, I also, after I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, 
do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This thanksgiving followed Paul being grateful that they had faith in Jesus and they were loving one another. Okay? But let me zero in on this thanksgiving just for a moment. Like I said, we're breaking this prayer apart. You know, we haven't got to the prayer yet. Thanksgiving is an important part of prayer. Okay? Let me give you some examples. In Psalm 100, verse 4, Jesus, I mean, David said, Enter into the case of thanksgiving and to his court with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. I could give you hundreds of examples of Psalms where, Jesus, where David was talking about being thankful. Paul also prayed, uh, or said in Philippians chapter 4, in another letter, but he says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that your request be made known to God. Jesus also told us how to pray with what we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, I'm not going to I'm not going to put the whole prayer on the screen. I'm just going to put the bookends. But the bookends of this prayer in Matthew chapter six, he 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 starts it with praise and thanksgiving, and he ends it with praise and thanksgiving. The bookends, okay? That's what we're going to look at. So in Matthew six, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's praise and thanksgiving. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The other book in is praise and thanksgiving. Okay? Let me just say this. It's easier to come to God to complain instead of praying. And most of us, including myself, at times, have done more complaining than praying. Complaining is not praying. Okay? It's complaining. Okay? But thanksgiving will remind us God is bigger than our problems. When we're coming to God and we can come to God, we need to come with Thanksgiving. Because Thanksgiving is a good exercise. It's a good pattern to remind us God is bigger than the problem that we're coming to God for. Thanksgiving will also move us beyond the problem to the answer. That make sense? Thanksgiving causes you to get your focus off the problem and get your focus on the answer. Faith focuses on the answer not the problem. Okay? Paul said this also in Colossians chapter 2. Be rooted and, and built up in him, established in, in the faith as you have been taught. We have to be taught this. Abounding to, in it with thanksgiving. I can give a lot of examples. I can do a whole teaching on thanksgiving. Okay? But Paul is saying, therefore, I, I also have that heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints. Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. If many of you, many of you who are listening and following and whatnot, I am thankful that you have made Jesus Christ your Lord by faith and that you love one another. And I do not cease to make mention of you in my prayers. Okay. Then there's a colon, and now he goes to the, what the prayer is. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding, we'll come back to some of these words, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand 
in heavenly places. Now the prayer goes on. We're going to stop here just for, for, for a moment. I want to recap some things, and then we're going to go back and look at these things in a lot more detail. Okay? Paul prayed that their understanding would be enlightened. We're going to go back and we're going to look at this. Paul prayed that their understanding would be enlightened. Paul also prayed that they would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. We're going to look at this as well. Paul also prayed that they would come to experience what is already true in their spirits. Okay? We're going to look at this in, in combination with what we just wrote. Let me look at the fourth one real quick, and then, uh, then we're going to go back. I'll bring these back up on the screen later in our teaching. Paul also prayed that they would receive the revelation of the mystery that he was sharing with them. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to some of the stuff, but I want to go on this one just for a minute. Because the word does come up with mystery. Well, we, remember, we picked it up in verse 15. But back in verse 9, Paul said, Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. How do we know verse 9 comes before verses 15 to 20 that we just read? Okay? So this is in context. Paul already said this before he even started praying. He mentions having made known to us the mystery of his, according to his, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed himself. Let me go back real quick. Paul prayed that they would receive the revelation of the mystery that he was sharing with them. Because everything he's sharing with them in, in this prayer and beyond, and throughout this book, he's starting this book, this is chapter 1, he has a mystery to share with them. He has a mystery that he wants them to know. He wants them to know. He's made known to us. Okay? Let's look at this mystery real quick. This is not, again, I could do, just like I did do a whole teaching on Thanksgiving, I could do a whole teaching on this. Okay? And I may someday soon. I think I've done it before in the past, but I could do it again. Some scholars say this about mystery. Some, the mystery is something that, that could not be known by man except by divine revelation. And another scholar said it this way, no, once hidden has now been revealed in Christ. There's something about this mystery that it can only be known by divine revelation. And there's something about this mystery that has, even though it was once hidden, has now been revealed in Christ. Okay? Let's go back to this verse real quick. Having made known to the custom mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed himself. See, the revelation of this mystery, let's, let's just talk about this for a second. The truths of God are only mysterious to those who have not softened their hearts. I'm not going to go to Mark chapter 8. But if you have not softened your heart to receive, if you have not softened your heart to seek God, if you have not softened your heart to be in relationship with God, then the truth of God's word will remain a mystery to you. They are only mysterious to those who are not willing to understand the truth of God's word. Okay. For example, this is just one example I can give you many more. In Jeremiah 29, 29, verse 11 starts with, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Verse 13 picks up, And you shall seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. If you're not going to put your all into seeking a relationship with God, the, the, 
chances are high that the truth of God's word will remain a mystery to you. Okay? See, the truth of God are only mysterious to those who are not soft in their hearts. Let me take it another step further. The truth of God are hidden for his children, not from his children. They're mysterious to those who are not saved, but they are revealed to those who are saved in Christ. How do you get to know the mysteries of God? You become born again. And you allow in, in a relationship with God through His Word, by the Holy Spirit, God reveals, begins to reveal to you the mysteries. But if you are not born again, and you are not willing to be discipled, then the truth of God's Word will, re, will remain a mystery to you. Am I making, making sense? Okay? Jesus said it this way regarding my last point here in Matthew 13. He says, He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, and it has not been given. Those who are born again, those who are his disciples, it's been, it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to those who want nothing to do with God, to those who don't have a relationship with God, to those who are not a disciple of God, it has not been given to them to know. God is, in one sense, it's not some big, huge secret, but you can't know it. You can't know the mysteries of the kingdom of God until you're born again. I'm going to bring this out even deeper in just a moment, okay? And let me just plug in here real quick. I'm, I'm on a rabbit trail, but let me add a rabbit trail to the rabbit trail, okay? The, I mean, you know, the Holy, we can't know anything without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals to us all truth. And the Holy Spirit has been given to teach us all things. This is echoed in John 14. But the help of the, whom the Holy Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all things that I have said to you. In other words, I believe the Holy Spirit, if we have a relationship with God and a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and Jesus said the words I speak to you, they are spirit and the truth. They are inspired word of God. They are inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will reveal to us the mysteries of God. But if you don't have the Spirit of God, if you don't have a relationship with God, then they will remain a mystery. How do you know a mystery needs to be re a mystery needs to be solved by someone who can solve mysteries? And you cannot solve the mysteries of the Word of God, the truth of God's kingdom, in the flesh. They are revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. Remember when, when Jesus asked the disciples, Who do you say I am? And Peter said, You are the Christ, and Jesus said, This has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Spirit of God. The truth of God's word, the mystery of God's word, cannot be revealed to you by flesh and blood. It cannot be revealed by your own logic. It's revealed to you by the Holy Spirit, your teacher, your helper. Okay? So the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. But the Holy Spirit has also given us an unction, or an anointing, so that we can know all things. First John 20, I'll read it from the King James, but you have an unction, or an anointing, from the Holy One, and ye know all things. We know all things. We know the mysteries of the kingdom of God because of the Holy Spirit. But if we don't have a relationship with God, and we don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, then we are, we are, in one sense, we are cutting off the mystery teacher. Okay? So Paul prayed that they, we would see the revelation of the mystery that he was sharing with them. 
That's what he said here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, having made known to us a mystery of his will. I believe this prayer is, a, is an extension of him making this statement. He said this in verse 9, and then he talks about how he's going to pray for him. And I believe some of the, some of the revelation that we're going to see in this prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 is Paul, by the, 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 the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, revealing to us, in a sense, part of the mystery of God's will. Are you following me? Okay? But then he goes on, this is Ephesians 1, 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he, God, Jesus, might gather together all, so God, he, God, might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. This might be a little deep for some people to understand. I want to look at this verse real quick. Let me let me look at some things and then I'm going to tie this together, okay? Uh, like a lawyer, sometimes I like printing out all the evidence and then bring it all together, okay? So allow me to do that. Let's look at this verse real quick. Uh, a lot of times we don't read from this translation, but it's called the uh, New International Reader's Version. And it says, you will know about when history has been completed, God will bring together all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. He says the same thing in the Good News translation. This plan, <coughs> which God will complete when the time is right, is to bring all creation together. Everything in heaven and on earth with Christ as head. Let's read, let's read this again back in the New King James. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the disposition of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Okay. This phrase, gather together in one, let's look at this real quick. It's a compound word in the Greek, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. Okay. And, but the shorter, form, the shorter form of this word, uh, even... It, well, I just, let me just say this. This compound word means to sum up. Okay? Let's get with that first. But the shorter form of this word, starting with a K, okay, is derived from the shorter name of kapal. I can pronounce that. Okay? And this kapal means the head. We are summed up in the head. That's what this phrase gathered together one. So let's... In other words, in all this that I just read, from Ephesians chapter 9, especially Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, is that God is bringing everything together under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay? I know I did a lot of Greek for you right there, and a lot of different translations, but God is bringing everything to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And this has always been God's plan and His purpose. Jesus is my Savior, but He is also my Lord. He's my head. And we're going to see this more clearly at the end of this prayer, that Jesus Christ is the head of His church. He's the Lord of His church. Okay? So we're going to talk about the mysteries and the revelation. There's something that God wants us to understand. But one thing we want to understand is Jesus is our Lord. He's our Master. He's our King. He's our Savior. But He's our Lord. Every knee shall bow, 
and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. COVID must bow. Every sickness must bow. Cancer must bow. Life must bow. Everything must bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay? And those who do not make Jesus the preeminent and Lord of their lives are entirely out of focus with the eternal purpose of God. You may be born again, praise God, and that is more important. But if Jesus is not your Lord, you are entirely out of focus of the eternal purpose of God for your life and the things that are going on in the world. Jesus is Lord. He will not lord himself over you unwillingly, but he, if you will let him be your Lord, Jesus will be your Lord and he will be your king. Your king of righteousness, your king of peace, the king of all kings. He is your king. And his kingdom is in you. And he wants to, as your Lord, as your king, he wants to exercise his kingdom that's already in you, through you, to the world. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ to be kings and priests to reign on the earth. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, and also Revelation 1, 6. Okay? So Paul prayed, again going back to a slide I had a, a little while ago. Paul prayed, this is a repeat, this is not new stuff, so some of you are about to stand. Paul prayed that their understanding would be enlightened. He prayed that they would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. He prayed that they would come to experience what is already true in their spirits. We're going to break these down, so don't try to get these all memorized right now, okay? And that he also prayed that they would receive the revelation of the mystery that he was sharing with them. I kind of already tackled this one, okay? Let's go back real quick. So I keep going back a few times here. I know, I know I'm just down there loading a lot of deep stuff here. I get that, okay? But I'm trying to break this up in bite-sized pieces. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. Notice this phrase as he starts his prayer in Ephesians 1, 17. He prays that, he prays that the Lord may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. But in verse 8, he said, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Is this a contradiction? Because in one sense, he said, he prays that the Lord may give, like they don't have it yet. And then he, but, uh, I thought I had it here in my notes. Let's go back. But here he said, he made, like it already happened. What? In verse 8, he says he, he already made, and verse Sorry, excuse me. Verse 17, he may give. Is that a contradiction? Okay. Well, let's look at this. Okay. Let's look at this real quick. I thought I had some nerves here. So in, in, in order to look at this, let's, I'm going to answer this question, is this, is this contradiction or not? But before I answer this question, let's break this, this phrase, of, sum this apart real quick. Let's look at this word spirit real quick. Okay? Spirit, okay, and there's not going to be an exhaustive study on this, but spirit is used, this word, this specific Greek word for spirit is used multiple times in the New Testament, even though it was a Paul, and it means the spirit of God. And it's also used for the spirit of man. 
For example, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, that's where we get the teaching, spirit, soul, and body. Okay? And it's the same word. But spirit can also be used in a, in a, in a mental disposition. For example, team spirit or school spirit. And we've all done that uh, growing up in our schools, I believe. I know our schools did. Paul also uses this word in Ephesians chapter 4 later on in the book, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that's a whole other teaching I'm not going to go into right now. Okay? But Paul's praying that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay? But he also said before that, like I said, he may, which he may to abound towards us in wisdom and prudence. So is this a contradiction? That's the question right now that we're trying to handle. Let me just say this. We already have wisdom and prudence in our born-again spirits. And our born-again spirits are the same spirit of God. You know, some people don't know when we use the spirit, it should be capital S or lower S. It could be either one, I believe, when we're talking about our born-again spirits. Because you're, if you're born again, your spirit is 100% Holy Ghost. Your, your spirit, I didn't say your mind, I didn't say your body, I didn't say you were, but your spirit is 100% born again. You are born again of an incorruptible seed, not corruptible seed. You are born of God. Okay? You cannot be born of God and not have His DNA in you. If I'm born of my Father, I have my own DNA to my natural Father, but my DNA is going to be very close to my Father. You can, you, in other words, you're going, to tell, you're going to be able to tell by my DNA, my dad, my father's DNA, that we came from the same offspring, that we are connected. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, okay? We, but we already have wisdom and prudence in our born-again spirits. But we have to draw these things out of our spirits. We have it in us, but we need to draw it out. And that's what Paul's praying, you have it. But I pray that you get the revelation so that you can use it. If you don't have the revelation what you have, you will never use what you have. Am I making sense? We already have wisdom and prudence in our born-again spirits. That's why he said in verse 8, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. But we have to draw these things out of our spirits. That's why he prayed that he may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In the knowledge of Him. It's only in the revelation of the knowledge of Him that you know what you have so you can use it. So Paul prayed that we would have understanding, an enlightenment, a revelation, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that we can experience what is already true. It's already true. We already have wisdom and prudence in our born-again spirit, but we're not going to experience it if we are, don't, are not understanding, we're not enlightened, that we don't have a revelation of what we have in Him. Am I making sense? So Paul prayed, uh, we already dealt with this, so let's put it But Paul also prayed, I'm going to add to some of my notes here, <coughs> what is already true in our, our spirits will become our mental disposition. We'll be transformed by the renewing of our mind. What is already true in our spirits that we will have a revelation. We will have an understanding. There will be an enlightenment. A revelation of what is already true. And it will become our mental. It will become the way that we think. A man, as a man thinketh, so is he. 
Okay. But he also is, he's praying <coughs> for our release into the physical, what is already present in our spiritual being. You can't release the kingdom of God if you don't have the mental disposition that the kingdom of God is within you. You can't release the things of God if you don't think you have the things of God. Peter and John said, silver and gold I have not, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Why could they do that? Because they had the mental dispensation to bring down the physical what was already true. They didn't have silver and gold, but they had Jesus. If they had Jesus, they could say, rise up and walk. They had a revelation. They had an enlightenment of the truth of what they had. Okay? And that was just moments. That was just I don't even know if it was days. I think it was hours after they became born again. Okay? New, New Testament speaking. Okay? You cannot get a revelation of something that doesn't exist. You have to first realize you have it. You can't get a revelation that you don't something you don't already have. So, going back to verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So let's go, let's move towards this word revelation, okay? I mean, I'm dicing this verse up as much as I can. But revelation means, and when I say, I'm not just, I'm not giving you all the Greek words. I did it on a few of these, but uh, it means disclosure. It means to take off the cover. See, Paul wasn't praying for the Lord to give us anything new. Paul didn't pray for God to give us more things. Paul prayed we would get a revelation of what was already, what has already been freely given to us in Christ. We already have this mystery. We already have this wisdom and prudence. We already have these things. And really, verse 17 is a prelude to verse 18, really the things that God, that Paul wants us to get a revelation of. We're going to get to there. I don't know if we'll get, fully get there today. And I'm not racing through this. But verse 18 really discloses the thing that Paul wants us to get a revelation of. Okay? The Christian life is not an attempt to get more faith. The Christian life is not an attempt to get more anointing. Now this might boggle some of your mind. In one sense, the Christian life is not to attempt to get closer to the Lord. In one sense. Because we already have these things in their fullness in Christ. Do I want you to get closer to the Lord? Yes. Just like I want to get in closer relationship with my wife and my friends and family and different people. But I don't need to get the relationship. I already have the relationship. I need to grow closer now. Right, so I'm not totally wiping that out. But let's go back to the first two. We're not, we're not trying to get more faith. We already have the faith of God. I can bring it, I can do a whole teaching on this one. We have the same measure of faith, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Okay? We're not trying to get more anointing. We have the anointed one in us. Okay? We already have these things and many more things I can elaborate on in their fullness in Christ. It says in John chapter 1, verse 16, of this fullness we have received in grace for grace. It, when we get to the prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, we, when we know his love, we will be filled with the fullness of God. If you are filled with the fullness of God, you can't get more. 
When you're full, you can't get more. When the glass is full, you can't put more in it. Okay? We have these things. We just need to know what we have. We don't need more faith. We don't need more things. We don't need more. And watch this. We don't need more of God. We have his fullness. Am I making sense? Some of us are trying to get something we already have. How do you get something you already have? No, you need to know what you have. Stop trying to get it and get a revelation so you can use it. Okay? Understanding this, it removes a lot of frustration. Okay? See, it's easier to release what we already have. <coughs> so many of us are trying to get what we already have instead of releasing what we already have. We're putting all of our focus, all of our energy, into trying to get something we already have instead of putting all of our energy and focus into releasing what we already have. And so, it's, we, because we're always, we're always trying to get something we already have, we're never releasing it. We're never experiencing it. We're never walking in it. Because we're trying to get something we already have. And, and put this again. It's easier to release what we already have than to try and get something we don't have. Okay? Why would anyone doubt to receive what we already have? But the problem is we don't know what we have. Okay? Paul said this way at the beginning of the chapter, verse 3, same chapter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We're trying to get something we already have been blessed with. Therefore, going back to the prayer, I also have my, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you and make mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. We'll come back to that last phrase in a little bit. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of this calling, what are the riches of the glory of inheritance in the saints. We'll spend a lot more of this and more likely the way it's heading next week. We're going to do these three things. But I'm not done with today's lesson yet. We still got 15 minutes left. That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is a. And there's three things. It goes on in verse 19. There's a third thing listed there. Let me just pause for a moment. Okay? I can say a lot of different things. Paul's praying that the eyes of their understanding be enlightened. Let's just take that phrase for a moment. Okay? Let's, 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 let's dissect this for a moment. When we, under, when we dissect it, we're going to understand the things that we need to understand better. I don't know if that makes any sense. Okay? When Paul prays that, he prays that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened, it reminds me of 2 Kings chapter 6. In 2 Kings chapter 6, the king of, uh, uh, king of Syria was coming against Elisha. And the king of Syria was coming against Elisha because Elisha was spoiling all of his military plans. The king of Assyria had kept having making milita military strategy to come against Israel, but Elisha kept getting a, a, a revelation, kept getting a word of a knowledge, a word of revelation of uh, his plans. And so the king of Assyria uh, thought someone on his own team was a rat, was someone who was betraying him and giving out his plans, plans that he made in his own chamber. 
Okay, and I'm paraphrasing this. I, you know, I'm just kind of giving the watered-down version so it might be to set the stage. But finally, the king of Assyria realized this was not some betrayer. This was not some uh, uh, rat in his t- on his team on, on, on his side. This was the spirit of God revealing these things to Elisha, who revealed it to the, to Israel. And so, when the, when the king of Assyria found out Elisha was the culprit from his point of view. He, all his whole army was coming against one man, Elisha. And so the, the armies of Assyria were surrounding Elisha, and his servant was with him, and his servant was freaking out. If you didn't have a revelation that Elisha had, you'd be freaking out too. Okay? I mean, it's like uh, there's a Star Wars movie where uh, Yoda says, Put, focus all of your firepower in the nearest starship. And in this case, Elisha was a near starship. And one says he was the only starship. Okay? And so, but this was, this, just like, let's go back real quick, just like Paul prayed that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Elisha prayed, and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray that you open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, his servant, and he saw and beheld the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And in context, it was said there was more with us than there are with them. There's nothing saying that Elisha ever even saw this, but he knew God was on his side. He may have saw this, he may not have saw that, we don't know. But the young man needed to see it. The young man needed to be enlightened. Just because this was true, there was full, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire, angels fighting his battle, didn't, didn't really change the setting that Elisha didn't have some problems. It didn't change the battle. It didn't change the problem. It changed the score. It changed how it was going to end. And just because you aren't lightened doesn't mean you're not going to have challenges coming your way. Paul had challenges coming his way. He talks about Corinthians, how many times he was shipwrecked and beaten and flogged and left for dead. And the list goes on and on. He calls out light afflictions. Paul had some issues. Most of us would have ran in our cave with one thing that Paul went through. One thing that Elijah went through. But... We need a revelation of who we are so that we don't go running in our arcade, but we are bold as lions and we do what God has called us to do and we be who God has called us to be, that we know the hope of His calling, we know the riches of His inheritance, we know the power of Jesus that raises up us, and that's a prelude of what we're going to get into in verse 18 and 19. But we need to pray, we know that God is with us. We need to know who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ. And we don't back down. We don't do it our own way like Abraham did with uh, uh, producing uh, Ishmael. But we also, when God tells us to do it, even if we're the only man standing like Elijah, so be it. We do what God calls us to do. We be who God is. We don't get ahead of God. We don't get behind God. We don't do it on our own. We, and we, but we trust God. Making sense? Okay? But the same way that Paul wanted our understanding to be enlightened, Elisha wanted his servant's eyes to be open. 
Okay? So let's go back to verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory and inheritance in the saints. Paul prayed that their understanding, <coughs> excuse me, he prayed that their understanding would be enlightened that, so that we can see what is already in our born-again spirits. I've been saying that over and over again, just different ways, okay? Let me say it this way, and I said I would get here earlier. Remember the story of Nicodemus? Nicodemus, Jesus with Nicodemus? Jesus talks to Nicodemus about being born again. Jesus said this in John 3, 3. He's talking to Nicodemus. He said, Jesus answered and said to him, Nicodemus, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless someone is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. We've been talking about how there's a mystery. And that mystery is not hidden to the children of God. It is hidden to those who are not born again. And if you're not born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God, let alone understand it. Okay? But if you are born again, then you are enabled to see the kingdom of God. But your understanding needs to be enlightened so you can see it. It's there. The veil has been removed. But you need to allow the Holy Spirit to open your eyes so you can see. The mystery is available to you. There's something that's that can be revealed to you, that you can walk in, that you can experience. There's only one requirement, and that is to be born again, which we I started talking about at the beginning of this message. There's nothing more important. Because nothing I teach in this series is going to mean anything if you're not born again. You can't even see it. I can talk about it, but you can't see it. But my prayer, Paul's prayer, is that if you are born again, that you can see the kingdom of God. And there's something to reveal to you. There's a mystery of the kingdom of heaven. There's a Jesus said, we read it with Matthew, that, that the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven are not hidden, and I'm paraphrasing it, are not hidden from you, but it's hidden from them. It's revealed to you. It's available to you. You have the and one says, you have the password. You have the passcode to see the kingdom of God. To see the mysteries of the kingdom. But you need to be born again. You also need to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal them to you. You need to pray, as Paul prayed, Lord, open my eyes so I can see the kingdom. You have permission because you're born again. You're a child of God. And Paul prayed. Therefore, I, remember, I started off with verse 15. Therefore, also, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints. This is speaking to someone who's born again. This is speaking to a church who's born again. This is speaking to someone who is enabled to see. Okay? He says, I do not see to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Father of Lord, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Praise God you love God. Praise God you have received him by faith. Praise God you love the saints. I give thanks to you in my prayer. But now my prayer for you is that you are born again, that you will receive a spirit, you will receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
and the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, that you may know. And there's three things that we're going to know. We're going to get into those three things more deeply next week. But let me still hash in on this word understanding. I'm not quite done for the day. Okay? Understanding means deep thought. It's also translated imagination in Luke chapter 1. Okay? This word understanding, same Greek word, this Jesus used it as understanding. Okay? Paul prayed that their understanding would be enlightened so that they can see what I just talked about. What is already in their born again spirits. Not just so they can understand it, but they can see it. They can be enlightened to it. Okay? I want you as a pastor, why I'm teaching this, I want you to understand and be enlightened so you can see what God has already given you in your born-again spirit so you can experience it and walk in it. Another way of saying this, Paul prayed that our imaginations would be enlightened because the same word understanding is also translated imaginations. Let's take this a step further. We look at the word understanding, but let's look, let's look at the phrase, eyes of your understanding. The ability to see with your heart. <coughs> see, a positive or godly imagination is also called hope. Hope is a positive expectation of good. It's imagination. And some of you only have an imagination of the worst case scenario. Some of us only have the imagination of all hell breaking loose. Some of us only have an imagination of what's happening in our government or your government. Some, some of us only have an imagination about COVID and what they said I can do and not do. Some of us only have a re revelation of what's happening in our family or in our village. Some of us only have an imagination of what we're hearing on Facebook and social media and the news. Some of us only have an imagination of what the doctor said and what our bank account said. But we need to have hope. And the living God, Jesus Christ, the mystery, the Jesus Christ, the hope of all glory. Paul said it this way in Romans 8, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is not is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? And he's talking about seeing with your physical eyes. I'm not talking about seeing with your physical eyes. In Ephesians chapter 1, he's not talking about seeing with your your physical life, he's talking about seeing with the eyes of your heart. That your heart would be enlightened. That you can see. So if you can see with your physical eyes, you don't need hope. But we have hope. And we have a living hope. And he prayed that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. That you may know the hope of his calling. And we're going to get into this more deeply next week. But let me tap into some of this stuff. This week, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go into this next week. Paul prayed that understanding imagination would see the hope of his calling. See, the, the eyes of our understanding is the ability to see with our heart, but also the ability to perceive with the mind. See, just as nobody can see with their eyes closed, Nobody can see with their minds and hearts closed either. If your heart and your mind is closed, you can't see, you can't perceive the kingdom of God in your situation. Just like Elisha's servant. Okay? See, our understanding must be opened by the Lord. 
to perceive spiritual truth. We must allow the Holy Spirit, we must allow our Lord, our head, to open our understanding. Okay, that's why Paul's praying this. Now, if you ever studied with me, um, we're not going to read the whole story, but in Luke chapter 24, we have what we call the road to Emmaus. And Jesus is walking after he's been resurrected from the dead. He's walking with two disciples. Now, these two disciples are unnamed, so we don't know exactly who they are. We all can suspect who they were, but we don't know the name. And it's that, if you read Luke chapter 24, I don't have the scripture up here yet, because I don't want you looking at it yet. <laughs> is that, it says, while they were walking with him, their eyes were not open. They didn't know, they didn't realize it was Jesus talking to them. But it goes on to say, as when they, when, when they went on, and, and, uh, and after he, he, after he revealed who he was to them, and they, their eyes were opened and they realized it was Jesus, it also says in verse 45, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. You know, when I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I read about the disciples, I'm just like, these guys are just dumb as sheep sometimes. So are we. But something began to change after this event, and they received the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts chapter 2. But they began to change with this motley crew once their understanding began was opened and began to understand and comprehend the scriptures. They weren't the same men anymore. This is after the resurrection. And in, ten, in, a, in a few days, 50 days, uh, uh, Pentecost, they're going to they're gonna receive the Holy Spirit. But their understanding began to be open at this point. They didn't have a... They weren't able, their understanding was shallow to this point, if I can say it that way. Okay? But something... There's something different about you and about me when the, our understanding is open so we can comprehend the Scripture. Sherry and I, when we went to Karen's Bible College between 2013 and 2016, there's something different. We changed. We grew. We matured. I didn't say we totally arrived in some ways, but we, it was a starting point. And everyone has their own story. And Paul said in Ephesians 4, he said, This I say, therefore, I testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles, the world walks, in the fertility of your mind. He says it this way in the King James, in the vanity of your mind. Okay? This word vanity or futility means inutility. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Figuratively, depravity. I can't pronounce that. Perverseness, deprivation. I don't know if I'm saying it right. I need my wife for this one. But what is the void of truth? What is void of truth? Okay? Inutility means not to utilize the lost, and let me just say this the lost don't use their brains. The Gentiles, the lost, don't use their brains. Okay? And I'm not trying to pick on anyone. I'm not trying to be mean. But a truly thinking person would have to conclude there is a God. Okay? Let me say it way. There is a God who intervenes in the affairs of man. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians. We're after that, that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. The world by wisdom knew not God. There's two kinds of wisdom. I've taught them this before. There's the wisdom of the world that James, the book of James, calls 
It calls uh, sensual, earthly, and demonic. And there's a wisdom that's from above. But the, but the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. See, people who really think things through would embrace the scripture even if they had no reverence for God. See, sin is stupid. Going to jail because of sin, going destroying your marriage or destroying your life because of sin is just stupid. <laughs> okay? And I think we've all done a piece of, lack of a better term, stupid in our lives. Okay? There's a difference between going to jail because you're preaching the gospel, doing something good, doing something right, and doing something because you did something stupid. Sin. <coughs> sin might be desirable for a season, but it's stupid. And this is not a, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are some of the, the if you sow the Bible says in Galatians, if you sow to the flesh of the flesh will reap corruption. See, sin will drive you <coughs> by lust versus logic. But if we think the world will get if but if we think like the world, we will get the same results as the world. And we need to change the way we think because we are different. We've been enlightened to know who we are, what we have. We need to change the way we think. Okay? See, as born-again believers, our hearts, our spirits are perfect. It is our minds that give us the problems. The battle is in our minds. And it's fertility. It's vanity. And the world is vanity in our minds. But we are born again. We have, the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. But if we don't know we have the mind of Christ, if we haven't been disciples and different things, we're going to think just like, and there's a lot of Christians just thinking just like the world, and they're getting the same results as the world. Okay? Now I can go off of something here. I'm, just, I'm basically out of time here. But I'm trying to get to a point right here so I can pick it up next week. These disciples were amazed when they saw Jesus walking on the water. And I'm going to do a whole teaching on this uh, called talking about a hardened heart. But when the disciples were amazed at Jesus walking on the water, Jesus called this amazement a hardened heart. You can read about this in a lot of detail in Mark chapter 8. He called it a hardened heart. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let me just capitalize on a couple things that I'm closing here. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no breath? Do you not perceive or understand? Is your heart still hard? Disciples were, a lot of times when we think of a hardened heart, and that's what I want to talk about later, uh, soon, uh, I'm not gonna, um, I want to talk about having a hardened heart. A hardened heart is not what some of us think. Some of us think it's because of sin. Now, sin can be part of that process of hardening your heart. But a hardened heart, it changes your, it changes your perception. It changes your understanding. Okay? And especially regarding miracles. When you have a hardened heart, you will not believe in the miraculous. You will not believe in God. See, what had just happened? Before this, Jesus had just walked on the water. And that amazed them. Before that, he had just fed the multitudes. And that's why they were grumbling about the bread and the food. They thought that Jesus was mad at them because they didn't bring bread. It wasn't about bringing bread. In other words, see, a hardened heart will keep us from perceiving spiritual truth. See, the variable is not the word, but the condition is the heart. See, not only will the heart of heart keep you from perceiving spiritual truth, but it will stop us from understanding spiritual truth. 
When you don't understand God's word, Satan finds no resistance. When you are not, not believing spiritual truth, Satan, you're not fighting against it. You're not pushing forward. You're not saying, by, you know, you, when Satan overcomes or when you're not seeing results, you just give up. You just let it. Well, whatever will be, will be. When you pray for someone and they're not healed, you just walk away. There's no resistance. Okay? When you don't understand God's word, Satan finds nothing but unbelief. See, a hardened heart keeps you from perceiving spiritual truth, it keeps you from understanding spiritual truth, and it keeps you from remembering. Three truths. I, I, this, I, I, can, go into, I can spend a whole series teaching on these three things. These are a lot of scripture I'm teaching these three things. It's not about sin. Sin will, can harden your heart even deeper. But a hardened heart is not believing, not perceiving, understanding spiritual truths. See, when we talk about remembering, you may be able to recall facts in Scripture. In the same context, Jesus asked him, when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets were full of fragments did I pick up? And they said twelve. He says, when I fed the... When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many large baskets of full fragments did you take up? They said seven. See, remembering, you may be able to recall facts of scriptures. The disciples remember the facts. But they forgot the spiritual lesson. They forgot the principle. And their hearts were hardened. They could remember the facts about how much bread was taken up. But they... They didn't know, they, didn't, they still, their hearts were hardened but perceiving why Jesus could walk on the water. Why they could feed the multitudes with just some fragments and whatnot. See, remembering scripture is not the same as perceiving the spiritual life in them. There's a big difference. And I know I'm running out of time. We're going to have to pick it up here. Okay. Uh, next week. I don't know if this is being fruitful. And I, 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 again, I don't know how long this will take. Well, I haven't got to the heart of Ephesians chapter 1 yet. Most of this is just a prelude, an introduction to what we're going to get to. Next week I'm going to hopefully recap shortly what I just covered in a nutshell so we can get to the heart of this prayer in Ephesians chapter 18, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 18 through 20, 21, and so on. And I hope I'm making sense. I hope this is fruitful. But my heart, in doing this study, and studying this prayer, and teaching this prayer, is that you and I, as Christians, would get a revelation. Our hearts would be enlightened to understand what we have in Christ so that we can use it. And that we, our hearts would not be hardened from the miraculous. We would be expected. We would be not. We would not be amazed. Jesus is walking on the water. We would be amazed that He isn't. We would be amazed when it. We are amazed when we lay hands on the sick and it doesn't happen. We are not amazed when it does work, because the kingdom of God, the Christianity, is supposed to work. It should bother us that it's not. It should not bother us. It should not amaze us that it's happening. It should, it, it should bewilder us that it's not working. Okay? We are the head and not the tail. We are above, not beneath. We are the people of God. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And we're going to get into that part in the same prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 before we're done with this prayer. Okay? So 
we're talking about four different prayers in this teaching. We're still dealing with the first one here, and then we'll get into these other ones uh, at later later times. So we're gonna go back and we're gonna finish chapter one next week as we're talking about the four prayers of Paul. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at six o'clock as we talk about effortless change. Amen. Amen.